Department F Productions presents The Visit, A Campfire Story by Tim Hansen. So I, I didn't sleep much last night. Well, yeah, what happened was I, I was really tired and I went to bed early, you know, probably around 10. I've been watching TV and I just kept dozing off. So I finally just, you know, turned the TV off and rolled over and went to sleep. I slept that way for a couple of hours and then for some reason I just woke up. I don't know, uh, I didn't really hear anything necessarily. I, I don't think there was any disturbance that woke me up, but when I did, I lay there for a while. I got up, went to the bathroom, came back, got back in bed. I lay there trying to get back to sleep, but I heard something, you know, very faint, but it sounded like humming, like a person humming. And ordinarily, when I hear sounds like that, I get up and take a look around, see if there's somebody hanging around, because people often wander back here into this apartment complex when they shouldn't be here. So I looked around, out the breakfast room window, and then out the kitchen window, and out my back bedroom window, and then finally I went around, went around to the front door to look out that window. That's where the sound was coming from. There was someone sitting there on the front stoop, humming. So I looked through the blinds and I looked down at them for a while and I tried to determine who it might be, if they posed any kind of a threat or a danger to me. I realized then that I was looking at either some extremely small adult person or this was a child. And I finally confirmed to myself and then I was satisfied that it was in fact a child and. And then I didn't, I just, I didn't know what to do. What in the world? I couldn't believe it. Who, how could there possibly be a child sitting out there on my front stoop? There are no kids who live here in this complex. I turned on the porch light and opened the door. I, you know, the first thing I said is, are you all right? Are you lost? Are you okay? It was a boy. It's probably nine or ten years old, so it's possible that he could have been on his own. He shouldn't have been, but it's possible that he was. So I said, you know, um, what are you doing here? <laughs> are you okay? Do you need me to call somebody for you? you? shouldn't be out here at this time of night. And then it was probably, uh, you know, close to one in the morning, and he just looked at me and he, kept, he just kept humming a little. <laughs> a little bit, as if he was... Uh, wasn't really quite aware that there was anything unusual about what was happening. I looked at him and I had this... <laughs> wow, I know this is going to sound strange. The very faintest, you know, and maybe I just remembered this later in retrospect. And at the time I probably didn't have this feeling at all. But there was something familiar about him. Something faintly, very faintly familiar about him. It wasn't somebody he had any recent connection or recollection of. He seemed much more distant than that, someone from the distant past almost. So finally I said, what's your name? I'm going to, I'm going to call, I'm going to have to call somebody to come get you because you know, you don't belong out here at night. This isn't safe for you. So uh, what's your name? And I had my phone in my hand and so I was ready to make the call to the police to have them come get him and, you know, try to locate his parents or where, wherever there was he belonged because he clearly didn't belong on my doorstep at one in the morning. So he answered. He said, he looked up at me and he said, it's Billy. Don't you know me? It's Billy. Billy, I said. 
Billy who? And I, you know, I was confused, and I thought he must be confused, and he may be confusing me with someone else, so I... So I uh, went to start making the phone call, and then I froze, because he called me by my name. He said, Jimmy, what are you doing? Don't you recognize me? Aren't you going to let me come in? I've come all this way, and it's been such a long time since I saw you. I was completely dumbfounded. I had no idea what he was talking about, yet at the same time suddenly realized who he was. I didn't... It just... It just came out of the far recesses of my memory, the deep, deep recesses of my memory. It was Billy. Billy, who was my best friend when I was nine years old. Billy, who disappeared, just vanished one day and never returned. It was Billy. We'd been best buddies. So close. And then one day he didn't come back to school. And when I called his house, his mother was too distraught to talk. So, you know, without explanation, it, well, it was explained to us. I mean, the explanation was that something had happened, but it was never, you know, ex expressly clear what had happened. But he was gone, and I never saw him again. He never came back to school. It was devastating. But it was also some sort of incredible mystery because it's not like he died and they found his body somewhere. I remember how heartbroken his mother was. Her, her son was gone. I was reluctant to, it seemed extremely dangerous to do, but I brought him in. I brought him in, sat him down and looked at him. First, I just sat there and looked at him because, you know, what was occurring was physically impossible. Yeah, you know, I'm 58 years old and uh, we were the same age, so Billy would be 58 years old too now, and Billy would not still be nine years old. This is this was just like some sort of twilight zone, you know, dream that I was experiencing, and I just... But there he was, a living, breathing boy sitting in front of me. The clothes he was wearing were, in fact, what we would have worn back then. It, it was just... I don't know. I started asking Billy what... Well, I know that this conversation is possibly not even really happening, but where where have you been? What happened to you? He said my name again. Jimmy, he said, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to finally find you. You have no idea what it's been like all these years. I've been wondering. I've been wandering around, and I, I don't know where I've been, but I've been looking. I've been looking for some somebody that I know, and, well... Those are not the words he said exactly. He didn't say he was looking for some... <laughs> he said he was looking for me. He said he was looking for his friend. No, I said, Billy, how is it, how is it remotely possible that you could still be nine years old? That was 49 years ago that you disappeared, and here you are sitting before me, a nine-year-old boy alive. What, are you a ghost? He laughed at that, and he said, ghosts don't look like this. They're like, you know, see-through. That made me laugh. Jim, let me tell you what happened. Remember remember how I used to say that sometimes I would go home and my mom would be at work and I'd be there all by myself and I had to make my own dinner and I'd have to make sure that all the doors were locked and everything when I went to sleep and we lived, you know, we lived 10 miles outside of town. So we lived on kind of like a farm-like place, remember? Well, I know you remember. You loved it out there. We lived right next to that old cemetery. 
used to go over there and play and fool around, even though my mother told me not to do it and told us not to do it, but we did it anyway. Remember that? And of course I did remember that. Some of the best memories of my life. We had such fun together. I used to go out there sometimes and stay the night when his mom wasn't working and she was home to look after us and we'd sneak out. We'd sneak out his bedroom window at night sometimes. We'd go out there into the cemetery. Yeah, we, yeah, we'd get a flashlight or sometimes a Coleman lantern and we'd cover it with a cloth so that it was kind of, you know, like a colored cloth so that it was kind of eerie and spooky. And we'd go over there and we'd wander around and look at the gravestones. Ah, oh, we had such fun. And then in the morning we'd be like too sleepy to get up and his mom would be trying to rouse us out of bed to have breakfast and it was always so much fun. He said, well, I used to lock all the doors at night. And my mom, sometimes, she didn't get home until 2 or 3 in the morning because she had to work at the restaurant in town, so it was just me there. I would go to bed. I would go to sleep pretty early because I had to get up to go to school, catch the bus really early in the morning. And, well, it started happening probably a week before I disappeared. I'd go to bed, and, you know, I'd fall asleep. I'd be asleep, and then suddenly I could, you know, I could feel the quilt my mom made me. And then the sheet very very, you know, gradually being pulled off me, you know, just slowly, like somebody was standing at the foot of the bed and just really, really, you know, just slowly pulling the covers off of me. And at first it, I thought I was dreaming or I thought I was imagining things. Being home alone and everything was kind of scary. Then I was thought, you know, I, I was lying there and I could feel that and then I would wake up and then it would stop. But each night during that week, it seemed to get worse. I'd go to sleep, and I'd wake up, and the covers would be halfway down, you know, at my waist or something, and then down around my knees, and then, and last night when I woke up, the covers were completely off me. When I woke up, I could see that someone was pulling them, not off of me, but they were already out the window, and were pulling the covers out the window with them. I froze, and my heart was racing, and I just froze, and I didn't know what to do. I tried to scream, but no sound came out of my mouth. I was so scared. Finally, after they'd gone, you know, after the covers had been completely pulled out the window and I was able to sort of move again, I got up and I crept over to the window and I looked out. I couldn't see anybody, but I could see the covers moving. You know, they were white in the, in the dark and, 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 and so they, I could see them, but I couldn't see a person doing anything with them. And I could see the covers being pulled over the fence into the cemetery and at one point it seemed like they got caught in the fence and something had to sort of rip them off and pull them off the fence and just and just keep going right on into the cemetery until they disappeared in it and it was then that I knew that I had to find out what it was what could what could be doing that maybe it was uh, I don't know maybe it was an animal I thought but that just seemed impossible how could an animal get into my house through the block blocked doors and windows and I I don't know Jim I was I had to go. I had to go, though. I just felt something pulling me along with those covers, pulling me into that cemetery. I, I, I know this sounds crazy, but what could be crazier than me being here, right? Right, 49 years later, and I, and here I am. I, I'm. I like put on my clothes. I went right out of the front door. I didn't even bother to lock it. I just went. I followed the same trail where my covers had been dragged, and I went over the fence into the cemetery. At first, I didn't see exactly where the covers had gone, what had happened to them, but then, but then I did. I did. I looked around, and I had a flashlight with me, so I was shining it around the cemetery, and I was so scared. I was just, I, I got really scared. Oh, I wish you could have been there with me. If, 
if you would have been there, I wouldn't have been so scared. So I went in, I looked around, I finally saw the covers. I saw the white bedspread and the white sheet draped over up, up over the headstones. One of those ones we used to hang around. You could barely read the name on it when I went to it. Went right up, right, right up to it with a flashlight. I was pretty sure something or someone was going to jump out from behind a headstone or behind a tree and grab me and kill me or do something to me and I went anyway and I went all the way over to where the headstone was and where the covers were and I, I, I shined the light on them and there was no one there was no person there and I thought what's the matter with me I must have imagined this <laughs> how do these covers get out here what's going on so I stood there for a minute I tried to think tried to you know try to figure it out I tried to understand how that could be happening and then the covers some invisible hand was pulling on them because I couldn't see anybody. I couldn't see any hands. Just suddenly when they pulled back the covers off the grave, off the headstone, it was a hole there. It looked like it had been freshly dug. Like somebody had just been there with a shovel or with a backhoe or something and had just dug a hole for a new grave. I thought all this was like one of those scary stories that we read sometimes at night when we're hanging out together and this is just crazy. I dared to shine the flashlight beam down into the hole, but it didn't find the bottom. It was just dark, 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 dark. All the way down, there was no end to it. My light, the beam of light, just, just, you know, disappeared down the hole. Somehow, I understood. And I don't know how I could possibly know this or understand it, but there was something calling me down there. Not with words, but, you know, with darkness. That darkness was calling me and it said, Billy, you gotta come here. This is where you belong. Jimmy, I don't know what made me do it, what I was thinking, exactly what I was feeling. I just knew that I had to jump. I had to jump into that bottomless hole. And and I did. <laughs> I did it. I don't know what made me do it. I had to jump. That's how I got here. It doesn't feel like it's been all these many years, but somehow once I went into that hole, I wondered, I wondered, it didn't even feel like I was falling when I went in. It was just like there was no gravity. I was just there, and then I was wandering someplace that I don't know. Sometimes it was dark. Sometimes it was gray, sometimes it was light, sometimes there was sound, but mostly it was silent. And then somehow, somehow I found myself sitting here on these steps in front of your place. I knew it was your place. I, I just knew it. And then you came and you saw me and you turned on the light and you opened the door and you brought me in here so I could tell you this. He didn't say anymore. He just sat there. Kind of relaxed his shoulders and seemed relieved. He smiled a little and he looked at me like he was so glad to see me. And then we just sat there looking at each other for a long time. Until the rising sun woke me and I saw that he was gone. In the place where he'd been sitting lay a sheet and a rolled-up quilt. The one that Billy's mom had made. The one that left his bed that night and led him down a hole and into the future that was now my present. I wondered if he'd gone back. Climbed out of that hole and resumed his nine-year-old life, leaving me here all alone. I gathered his bedclothes and spread them across my bed. Climbed into bed pulled the covers up to my chin and waited for them to lead me down a hole back to my childhood. 
And then I fell asleep. That's all. I just fell asleep. The Visit a Campfire story was written and performed by Tim Hansen. The guitar sounds were performed by Jeff Howell. The sound design was by Kenny Meyer. This has been an Apartment F production.